The first reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. May be found on page 1074 in the Church Bibles. John, chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. 
This is the word of the Lord. And the second reading is from John 14, verses 5 to 14. And that's on page 1082 of the Church Bibles. That's John 14, starting at verse 5, on page 1082. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Beth. Let's pray as we look at these two mighty texts in front of us. So, Father, we thank you so much for your word, your word that is the truth, and we pray, Lord, that by your word, you would be at work in our hearts as we look at it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we are in a series called Foundational Truths. This is number two in the series, and this week we're going to be looking at how the truth sets us free. And we're going to start in John 8, so if you've really gone to John 14, flick back to John 8. Uh, we'll start there. And uh, there's a structure to this talk, you'll be very pleased to know. And the structure is a bit like that game that you might have played, Two Truths and a Lie. I don't know if you've played Two Truths and a Lie. In fact, we're going to play it later on in the talk, uh, but the structure is going to be the opposite of that. The structure is going to be two lies and the truth. And you can treat the first lie that we're going to be looking at a bit like an introduction, because we aren't fully going to get into the text yet. Treat it as an introduction, but we'll start there with this first lie. And the first lie, if you want to put a title to it, is the name, sorry, the age, rather, of authenticity. The age of authenticity. I'll define that a little bit later. But as we start, and we're looking at the truth, I think that is fitting uh, for me to confess something to you. And that is, uh, a couple of days ago, I was browsing uh, through the kitchen trying to get some tea, and I, I pounced upon this book that is sitting on the counter. It's by a lady called Ariel Levy, and it's called The Rules Do Not Apply 
And if this is your book, I'd love to give it back to you after the service. But if I can keep it in my hand while I'm preaching, that would be really, really helpful. Uh, now, every so often when I'm about to preach, something comes up in life. And I think, wow, I wonder if the Lord wants to speak to us through that particular thing. And that is exactly what happened a few days ago. Reading through the book, I found out that Ariel Levy is a journalist. She writes for the New Yorker magazine. And in fact, she's a journalist who writes on stories that are right on the edge. Uh, So her first story was about the Van Dykes, which are a group of women. Uh, They're women separatists, in fact, traveling around in vans around the States. And they won't stop anywhere except on land that is owned by women. These are people who are living on the extreme. And from there, Ariel carried on writing stories very similar to that for the New Yorker. And, and the life that she lives is such an interesting one. This book, in fact, is a memoir. So we find out about her life. And she's very honest about her life. And it's a life that isn't quite there with the Van Dykes, but it's similar in some ways. And she tells us in, in graphic detail about the lies that she encounters in her life. In fact, almost all of the major characters in this story lie to her or she lies to them. So one of the main characters is a lady called Lucy, who she marries. In fact, she calls her marriage a fake marriage because she isn't allowed by law to get married. But it's a fake marriage in another way, I think, for her. And that is just there's so much uh, of uh, so much untruth in her marriage. Her fake wife, she calls her Lucy, ends up in alcoholism and lies continually to her in order to carry on going in that way. There's one particular time where she confesses and she gets some help, but then she relapses straight back into it. And that comes with the lies. And then we find out that uh, Ariel, in fact, ends up lying too. She has an affair with a lady who has now become a man. And she had been going out to this lady previously uh, as a lady when she was called Jan before she became Jim. And Jan had lied to her and manipulated her. And then this Jim character, she thinks, maybe is very different and has turned a corner. But in fact, Jim lies to her and manipulates her in a very similar way. In fact, hacking into her emails and sending emails to her fake wife. She lies to her fake wife for two and a half years as she has an affair with Jim. And the lies carry on through her life. She mentions uh, very truthfully, in fact, that as people go through their 20s and 30s, and she's talking about her friends, they lie to themselves, saying having sex is just fun, and we can, we can, we can, we can just enjoy our lust, and we don't have to worry about it. And when we get to the point in time where we want to have children, that's going to be possible. But as she hits her late 30s along with her friends and her friends want to have children, they find that it's a lot more difficult than they told themselves it was. Ariel gets pregnant, wanting to be pregnant, 
and her life really falls apart after 19 weeks of pregnancy in a hotel in Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia where she's gone to do a story about some people in the Gobi Desert. It's in that hotel room where her baby is born prematurely. And she says this, he was translucent and pink and very, very small, but he was flawless. His lovely lips were opening and closing, opening and closing, swallowing the new world. For a length of time I cannot delineate, I sat there awestruck, transfixed. Every finger, every toenail, the golden shadow of his eyebrows coming in, the elegance of his shoulders, all of it was miraculous, astonishing. I held him up to my face, his head and shoulders filling my hand, his legs dangling almost to my elbow. I tried to think of anything maternal that I could do to convey to him that I was his mother and that I had the situation completely under control. The paramedics tell her that she isn't going to be able to keep this 19-week-old baby. It's just not possible. And she flies back to New York in absolute despair. Despair because she's lost a child. But despair further because no one can understand her grief. She's living in a pro-choice environment. An environment that says this 19-week-old baby that was born to her isn't actually, wasn't actually a human being, but just the possibility of a human being. And she has no one to grieve with her that will understand the pain that she's gone through, the pain of a mother, someone who is a mother for a couple of hours before she lost her son. He was so perfect to her. And in fact, her despair drives her to this place of reaching out to the only person who knew the son who she had, the South African doctor in Ulaanbaatar. That's the only person she wanted to be with. And Ariel points out this lie of pro-choice, this lie of freedom this lie that so many have lived with in our culture. The age of authenticity is such an interesting thing. It can be defined as, if it feels right, then it is. If it feels right, then it is. It's something that came up, in fact, in the Romantic era a good amount of time ago, and we've seen it over and over again. It's come back to us in this post-truth world that we now live in, which has followed post-modernity. Post-modernity told us that truth is personal. You can have a truth, and you can have a truth, and I can have a truth, and truth is personal to us. Post-truth tells us nowadays that truth doesn't exist. We all live in fictional narratives. And in fact, this comes from the age of authenticity, but it goes further back than that. We see it in John 18, 38, where Pilate 
asks the question, what is truth? And I want to bet my bottom dollar that his question, his idea of truth wasn't new at that stage. But it goes all the way back. Just imagine Pilate standing there with the truth in front of him. And all he has is a rhetorical question. What is truth? That's our first lie, the age of authenticity. We've got a second lie which takes us into John 8. John 8 is fascinating. Flick back if you've gone back to, if we've gone to John 14. John 8 tells us that Jesus is talking to the Jews who had believed him. And Jesus says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He's talking to those who want to put their trust in him. Those who have said that they believe in him. But he tells them, if you hold to my teaching, if you abide or remain, the same language from John 15 and the vine, to my teaching, what is the teaching, his words of truth, then you are really my disciples. What is a disciple? Two weeks ago, we had a look at how a disciple uh, is an apprentice of Jesus, one who follows him, one who has a goal of wanting to be with his rabbi, with his teacher, wanting to be like his teacher, and wanting to do what his teacher did. And we'll find out how we see that in uh, the end of John 14. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And it's, it's the then of verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so they answer him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. In the second lie, we hear the words, it'll be okay. It will be okay. We are Abraham's descendants, so it will be okay. We've got an inherited privilege in us as these people of Abraham. So we'll be okay. And they say we've never been slaves of anyone. Now, is the second part of that sentence true? We've never been slaves of anyone? It's an absolute lie, right from the beginning. They're under Roman occupation. They've been captive in Babylon or Assyria. And think back even further, they've been slaves in Egypt. But they say to him, we've never been slaves of anyone. They say, how can you say that we'll be set free? And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so he's not even interested in their lie. Because he wants to point to a deeper truth. He wants to point to the truth of the slavery of Egypt and the release of, 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 of the people of God from slavery. The, the, the slavery was a physical slavery, but it's more than a physical slavery. It is a spiritual slavery, and this is the story of the people of God. The story of the people of God is that we find ourselves in slavery. Slavery to sin. And it harks back to Genesis 3, 
where Adam sinned. And ever since then, we're born into sin. We're born slaves. And the story of the Exodus of these slaves being redeemed from their slavery and being set free. And it happens as more, more than a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. That's the story of the people of God. And the Jews who Jesus is talking to have missed it. They've missed what it means to be the people of God. So he tells them, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Who's the son? Jesus is the son. And he has the power to set you free so that you'll be free indeed. Free from what? Political slavery? He does have that power, yes. But free from slavery to sin. And, and what transpires in, in, in the rest of this passage is that um, it's possible to come under one of two fathers. And he's asking, who is your father? Is it Father God? Or is it the father of lies? And in fact, we're all born under the father of lies. So um, David tells us exactly that in, in Psalm 51.5. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We're born sinful. We aren't born free. We're born sinful. That's our natural desire. And we're addicted to it. I find Ariel Levy absolutely fascinating in, in the truth that she conveys amongst the midst of these lies. And there's so many parallels between what we see in this passage and what she tells us. Um, but she says, addicts lie. This should not have been so difficult for me to understand. When I was addicted to lust, I lied all the time, sometimes to cover my tracks, and sometimes purely out of habit. Addicts lie. We're born into lies. And the incredible thing is that the Son is able to set us free. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He died to break the chains of sin and death. He died so if we're willing to give him our sin, he will give us life and freedom. Now, so we've started to cover here um, these first two lies. The lie of the age of authenticity um, and the lie that I'm okay but there's a truth that we need to hold on to in all of this. And so if you go to John 14, we'll get into some of that. Uh, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This, the way, the truth, and life has sometimes been summarized as, I am the true way that leads to life. And that would be true. But the commentators tell us that, that all three of those need to stand individually on their own with their own strength and power. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the truth 
as we're going to find in a second. And he is the life. Lies will lead to your world falling apart like it did for Ariel Levy. But the truth is something quite the opposite. So philosophers define truth in different ways, and it's interesting chatting with philosophers about truth. Uh, One idea of truth that philosophers have is called the correspondence theory, and there's this question, does a statement reflect reality? Yes or no? There's another way of defining truth, which is fidelity, being true to yourself. And I want to say that part of Jesus being the truth is those two things, but it's more. Jesus is the truth in a yes or no answer. He's the truth in that he's always completely true to himself. There's a fidelity in him. But he's true in a a way that everything holds together in Jesus. Ariel Levy was living a lie, and her world fell apart. Jesus offers you the opportunity to live in the one who is, in the, who is the truth, and everything in life will hold together for you in that. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so this is where we play the game. Uh, two truths and a lie. I'm going to give you three statements. One of them is going to be a lie. They're going to be two truths. I'm going to get your, you to stick your hands in the air uh, after I've given you the three statements. Tell me which one is the lie. So here's the first one. I, uh, growing up in South Africa, used to have my own sailing boat. Number one. Number two is I ran the Edinburgh Marathon last year. And the third one is I quite often on a Friday night go to clubs to do some break dancing. Uh, who, who thinks it's the first one? The lie is the first one. Uh, the second one, three. Who thinks, you, you think it's the third one? Who thinks it's the third one? I, I break dance on a Friday night. Okay, fantastic. I'm so pleased you got that right. But, but I'm, I'm also, I'd love to do some break dancing. My oldest son's quite good at it. Uh, maybe I need to take up break dancing and then try this again on you. So, so, so in deciding whether or not I was telling a truth or lie, you would have depended on two things. Uh, one of them, is a relationship. So some sort of understanding of of who I am, what I do, what I'm capable of. And then the second thing that you'll depend on is evidence. You might have seen me out in my running kit, or you might know that I'm from South Africa. Uh, I might have shared some stories about sailing, potentially. Uh, And so it's those two things, relationship and evidence. And that's exactly what we see in this text, in fact. Uh, Having lunch with a friend recently and chatting to him about truth, he said that Christians are so good at breaking down, breaking apart the world's arguments, but they aren't very good at building up an alternative with, with, with evidence that the Christian faith, in fact, is the truth. And so that's what I want to do for you in these remaining minutes very quickly. So Jesus says... Sorry, uh, yeah, Jesus says, if you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 8, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. And some of these uh, verses here in John have been echoing the Exodus account, and in particular, getting into Exodus 
33, where Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God passes in front of Moses, and he sees just the train of his robe. So Philip's on quite good ground here when he says, show us the Father, and that will be enough. But Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The writer of the Hebrews tells us that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. And it's through a relationship with the Son that you know him to be the truth. Just imagine you've got a friend who's hauled in by the police for a heinous crime uh, that's been laid upon them. Maybe it's murder. Maybe it's robbery. And you know this person. You know what they're capable of. You're able to go into court as a character witness and say, I know that person. Jesus is appealing to that kind of knowledge, that relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you able to say, I know him, and I know him to be the truth? And then we carry on, verse 11. He says, believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe at least on the evidence of the works themselves. And these evidence are erga. They're the miracles that Jesus has been performing and even raising people from the dead. He's saying to his disciples, you've seen something amazing. Even if you don't fully trust me in our relationship, believe on the evidence and use them to get to a place of relationship. Have you investigated the works, the miracles? The evidence. We don't believe in blind faith as Christians. We believe based on evidence. And the amazing thing is, what happens is we come to Jesus and we give our lives to him. We say, I want to give you all these lies in my life and I want to exchange them for the truth. Is that the truth comes to live in us. We have the Holy Spirit uh, coming to live in us. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.22 um, that uh, a seal of ownership is set on us and God puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. God gives us some of him and that truth that's in us grows. So my question for you this morning, I think, is how do you want to live? Do you want to live in the freedom that is offered In this age of authenticity that leads to everything falling apart, as this memoir tells us, do you want to believe in in a fake freedom? A freedom that says, I'm okay, I've got some inherited privileges, or I'll be okay somehow. Or do you want to believe and you want to live in the truth that you know in your heart that what's going on there is corruption, 
What's going on there is our knowledge that by ourselves we cannot live, but also a knowledge that Jesus is out there and wants to make this incredible exchange with us. Let's live a life of discipleship, spending time with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing what he did. Have a look in your own time, maybe, in, at John, 14, uh, sorry, John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I don't have time to unpack that, but have a look at that in your own time. I want to end with a meditation from Thomas Kempis on the way, the truth, and the life. He says, follow thou me, I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life truth, life blessed, life uncreated. Lord, our prayer is that we would follow in your way. We would know you to be the truth. We would know life in you. We would know ourselves as your disciples. We would know ourselves as the ones who have been set free by the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.